Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, immediately after the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to be looking briefly this morning. Earlier this year, Marianne Nolan in Richmond, Virginia, a grandmother of 10 who had spent her life as a nurse, died from lung cancer. She was 68 years old. And when her family sat down to write her obituary that was then published in the Richmond newspaper, one of the things they said about her, and I want you to listen carefully, they said she devoted her life, now listen, she devoted her life to sharing the love she received from Christ with all whose lives she touched. I think it's a great tribute, don't you? They could have talked about her being active in their church, but they understood that it was more than just being part of a church. It was her love for Christ, being touched by His love, and then sharing that with others because it's all about a relationship. Now, what you may not know is her obituary was picked up by CNN and numerous other outlets, not because of what her family said about her relationship with Jesus Christ, but because of the opening sentence they had written. And here's what the media focused on. Here's that opening sentence in her obituary. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. <laughs> You know, that, that says something about the condition of our world and our nation, does it not? And the truth is, history writes the obituary of every nation that comes and goes. Even more importantly, so does God. Jesus in Matthew 25 said that all nations will be gathered before him. This is referring to the second coming and judgment day. All nations will be gathered before Jesus. If God allows time to continue and eventually America falls and historians write our obituary, what will it say? More importantly, what will God say about this country? And even more important than what God says about this country is this. What will God say about you when you die? What will your obituary read? Not in the local paper, but in the documents of heaven. In the Old Testament, there's a story where God wrote the obituary of both a man and a nation at the same time. So I want you to take your Bible and open to the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 5. Because the setting for when this story takes place is 500 years before Jesus Christ. Babylon was the dominant power on the planet. As an empire, it ruled much of the Middle East, including Israel. It had destroyed the city of Jerusalem and burned the temple in the city to the ground. They had looted the Holy of Holies, taking the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments back to Babylon, along with all the other instruments of worship, along with all the utensils, the utensils of gold and the utensils of silver, everything of worth they had looted from the temple and from the Jewish palace and taken it back to Babylon. And they had leveled that city and left nothing. They had burned the temple. They leveled it to the ground and left nothing standing. Babylon was the largest city history had seen to that point in time. It was the first city, historians say, to have more than 200,000 inhabitants. 
It was surrounded by two walls stretching 10 to 14 miles each. Each of those walls was 25 feet thick, standing 50 feet tall with a large gap between them. On the outside of the outer wall was a moat. And the city was deemed to be impenetrable. No army could break through. The Euphrates River ran through the middle of the city providing water. They stored food supplies so that they could endure a siege by an army that would surround the city for years. The palace inside the city of Babylon by itself covered more than 30 acres. And yet, within 50 years, of the day Babylon conquered Jerusalem and burned the temple to the ground within 50 years of that great achievement militarily Babylon ceased to exist it fell under the judgment of God at the hand of the Persians and the Medes so look what he says in chapter 5 of Daniel we don't have time to develop all of it but let me just point out a couple of things and then say something to us about our nation, and even more importantly, about our individual lives. We're told in the opening verses of this chapter that Belshazzar was the king and he was holding a feast. Now, in actuality, his father was the acting king. But his father had been away for 10 years at another city that he wanted to just live at, and he made his palace there. And so in his place, his son, Belshazzar, was the acting king, and he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king and general who had conquered Jerusalem 50 years before. Jeremiah had said 50 years before that Babylon was God's instrument to judge Jerusalem, to judge Israel. But after the third generation, when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was on the throne, Babylon would fall, and that is exactly what happened historically. And so he's on the throne and he has this big feast and he invites all of these leaders. And these feasts were often basically drunken orgies. And at certain occasions like this one, they would invite their many wives and their many concubines. But what took this celebration in the opening verses of Daniel 5 to another level was once they were drunk, the king gave the order for servants to bring from storage all of the drinking utensils, all of the plates that had been plundered from the temple in Jerusalem 50 years before. And so they brought the the cups of gold and the cups of silver, the, the things that had been in the temple of God in Jerusalem dedicated to the service of God. They brought them to this drunken orgy in Babylon and they drank from those cups and they ate from those plates and they desecrated what had been sanctified and dedicated as holy to the living God. And in the midst of their drinking, in the midst of their orgy, in the midst of their desecration of the things of God, in verse 5, suddenly a man's hand appears as though you can only see it from here. And the fingers on that hand right on the wall. And if you skip down in chapter 5, what he writes is, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsim. And the Bible tells us that the king became white with fear and that his knees began to shake. He called all of his advisors together and none of them could explain what it meant. 
The queen reminded him that there was a man who years before, when his grandfather had been king, had been useful at interpreting dreams, and his name was Daniel. He was a Jew. And so Belshazzar called for Daniel, and Daniel comes to him. And I want you to look at what Daniel says to him in chapter 5, verse 22. After reminding him of everything that had happened during his grandfather's day and the hand of God in those events, Daniel says to him, Belshazzar, in verse 22, you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Just like many of us know what God's Word say, says, but we don't obey it. We, we've seen what God has done in the lives of relatives and others, but we don't learn the lessons. You, instead of humbling yourself, in verse 23, have, exalt, have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And you brought these vessels out. These vessels from the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. You brought these vessels out and you desecrated them, drinking wine from them. And while you were doing that with the vessels of God, you were worshiping and praising these pagan idols. In the end of verse 23, what a statement. The very last sentence in verse 23, but the God in whose hand are your life breath, the God who holds the air you breathe in his hand, who holds your very life in his hand, that God you have not glorified. And so he sent the fingers, he sent the hand to write these words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsim. And Daniel says, King, here's what it means. In verse 26, Manai, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. The word means to count, to number. God has fixed the days that your kingdom will last and the days are up. It's going to fall. Tackle. To, to weigh something on a scale, on the balance. And he says, you, Belshazzar, as king, you, you have been weighed on the scales of heaven. And you're too skinny. You, you don't weigh anything in the eyes of God. And on the, just, on the scales of justice, in the, in the eyes of God, you've come up short. Perez, the singular of the plural, farsum, you farsum. To break in two, to divide. Your kingdom, because of this, is going to be broken in two like someone breaks a twig or a stick. And it's going to be given to the Persians and the Medes as the judgment of God. And then in verse 30, on that same night, Babylon fell and Belshazzar died. We know from history that Babylon surrendered to Cyrus, the Persians, the Medes, without a fight. They knew the city had been surrounded by the army. They felt secure. Food for years. No one had ever in history penetrated those walls. It wasn't possible. They weren't worried. They were comfortable. And while they were drunk, Cyrus the Persian king had his army divert the water of the Euphrates into some pre-existing channels. And they walked through where the river once ran into the city, much like the Trojan horse in ancient history.
and Babylon fell without a fight. Now what Daniel tells Belshazzar and the Babylonians, we need to hear. He says the judgment fell on them for these two reasons. One, the way they treated God. You didn't humble yourself before him. Instead, you were arrogant in your own self-confidence and delusion. You worshipped other idols and other gods and paid no attention to the God of creation, the God of heaven, the God of judgment, the God of life. Verse 23, the very God who holds the breath you breathe, the breath of your life in his hand, you've not glorified him. You know, a new tradition started after the Islamic terrorists attacked America on 9-11. The Twin Towers fell to the ground and the Pentagon exploded in flames. You know what that tradition was? Major League Baseball asked all the teams at the next game to have the people stand, remove their hats, and sing what Denver and the orchestra sang a moment ago, God bless America. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. Doesn't that sound like what we need? And from that day on, Major League Baseball has continued the tradition. Practically every Major League Baseball team has the crowd stand and someone sings or they play that song, God Bless America, every Sunday and most holidays. The New York Yankees do it every game in Yankee Stadium. And yet earlier, a reporter for the New York Daily News wrote an article that has been picked up by papers all over this country and around the world demanding that baseball stop playing God Bless America at their games. In fact, on his personal Twitter account, he wrote this, First Guns, because previously he's gone after guns. He said, Now I take on God. Baseball must permanently retire. God bless America. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a man standing before God on Judgment Day who wrote, I'm going to take on God. And yet, some of us do it less belligerently in our own lives, metaphorically shaking our fist in the face of God when He knows what. We, we know what he says we're supposed to do, but we don't want to listen to him. In your personal life, are you humble before God and submitted to his lordship? In your personal life, do you glorify God in your daily living with your decisions? Do you worship him alone or do you worship him in other things in this world that are a little too important to you? How do you treat God? But it wasn't just the way Belshazzar and the Babylonians treated God that got them in trouble. It was also how they treated those things that belonged to God. As they took those vessels that had been sanctified and set apart for the service and worship of God in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem and they brought them back to their place and they treated them like common dishes. These may be the vessels of the so-called Jewish God, but we're going to drink wine out of them because we're bigger and better. The possessions of God today are not church buildings. 
possession of God today is His people. The Bible says we are His temple. We are His family. We are His priesthood. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. You who love Jesus Christ, you are the, the family of God. You're His possession. And how the world treats you matters. And so in May... The state Senate in California passed legislation and it's now expected to pass in the California House of Representatives that will allow students to sue any Christian college, sue any Christian university that wants to stick to their biblical values when it comes to sexuality. Because we have Christian colleges all over this country that believe in the Word of God and say that on our campus, if you're going to teach, you have to believe this and live this way. Christian colleges and universities that say in our student housing, we believe that we believe in, in, in marriage between a man and a woman the way God ordained in the Bible. And so in our dorms, men are in this dorm and women are in this dorm and we don't mix the two. Christian colleges and universities that say God ordained marriage and therefore in our student married housing we don't allow homosexual couples to live together and those who marry of the same sex to live together in our student housing. But California says you can't do that because if you do we're going to sue you and none of your students can have any money from anything we do in this state to help college students. How leaders in a country treats the people of God matters more than the people making the decisions realize until it's too late. What are you not supposed to do? Submit to the Lord ourselves. Just submit to Him. Submit to Him. Glorify Him in our life. And be like Daniel. When Daniel saw what the finger of God had written on that wall, the same finger of God that had written the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets centuries before, he didn't back away from it. He was true to what God had written. You want to be right with God? You want God to write your obituary the right way? Then you be true to what God says in His Word, what's been written by His finger and by the Holy Spirit for your life, both in this life and in death. Be true to what God says for humanity. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In the Vatican Library, there are hundreds of beautiful murals painted on the ceiling and the walls. That's a photograph I took two years ago because the scene fascinated me. The next slide gives you a closer view of what's in the middle because it's a, it's, it's a mural that an artist painted years ago of a pedestal and on the floor is a marble statue of a Roman emperor that had been placed on that pedestal but in time knocked over and broken on the floor and now standing on the pedestal in place of the Roman emperor is the crucified Christ. Because every nation, the Bible says, one day will bow its knee and confess with its mouth. Every human being will bow its knee and confess with his or her mouth on the judgment day 
that Jesus is Lord. No person, no empire stands forever against the God who spoke this world into being. They haven't in the past and they won't in the future. Not even this nation. Because the only king that is eternal is God. And we often talk about America needs to listen, but here's my question to you. It's not is America listening to God. Here's my question to you. Are you listening to God? Because the only way you're going to make a difference in this world is for you in your life to listen to God and do what he says. So let's stand.